Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode 191 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here as always to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out in the trails, keep you stoked, and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks so much for joining the podcast this week, and thanks for tuning in to the show. On this week's episode, we are chatting with the founder and owner of Instinct Distribution, Tony Pickford. Now, Tony got into the distribution game in quite a strange way when his son, who was riding downhill at the time, got sponsored by a USA brand called Flow Vision for goggles, glasses and a few other bits and pieces. Tony and his son was just so blown away by the brand that Tony got in contact with the owner of the brand, Nick, and just got chatting really. And after a few conversations, Tony decided that he would become the first UK distributor for the brand. Now, that was only back in November of 2019, but the brand has grown from strength to strength since that, even over the COVID period. Tony has seen the brand grow and seen much interest in the Flow Vision product. Tony has been riding two wheels since the mid-1980s when he became interested in the BMX craze, as so many of us did. Um, But taking on a distribution business is a lot different from that. But Tony has been involved in the bike industry since those days. So he has a lot of experience and knows a lot of people and has a lot of contacts. So we chat to him about the goggles, the manufacturing, the price and the quality and why he believes so much in the product and what it has to offer. So without further ado... Let's get Tony on the MTB Tribe podcast. Hi, Tony. Welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. It's great to have you on the show. How's things with you today, sir? Well, thanks for having us, Gareth. It's um, yeah, for everyone, it's it's a weird time, but uh, personally, we're we're all good here. Excellent, so. excellent. And you were chatting there before we kind of hit the big red record button. Um, you're at an event yesterday, a race yesterday, were you? Yes, um, uh, a pedal hounds enduro down at uh, Matterley Estate in Wiltshire. All so, right, cool. Um, guess that only works because you push up and there's no uplift. Yeah, so it won't sit the downhillers. <laughs> a lot of the downhillers are doing it because they've got no other racing, um, my son included. Um, but. <laughs> The guys that do cyclocross and things like that seem to have quite an advantage over the downhillers. Uh, I guess their fitness, this it tells a bit more on the uphills and they've got more energy for the downhills. Yeah, wow. And what about the numbers? Did you see an increase, a decrease? Like what What did you think of that, you know, as far as there's been, been nothing like this for ages, right? Well, that, no. Pedal Hounds managed to run a couple of events at the end of last year before we went into the second lockdown. Okay. But strict number controls on, you know, how many riders could attend the event. Um, no spectators. There wasn't an event village. So they're, they're doing a really good job of keeping people apart, um, so, you know, so that they can get, get some form of racing done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And were people stoked to be racing? Oh, absolutely. You could, you know, the sun was out, a little bit chilly in the wind, but everybody was smiling. It's great to see people, even if it's from a distance, and uh, get between the tapes and uh, blow off some steam, I guess. Yeah, yeah, cool, man, cool. Um, Now, I want to chat to you about your distribution company, Instinct Distribution, and uh, you distribute the Flow Vision products and stuff like that. But we'll chat a little bit about your background first, if you don't mind. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. Because you you come into the whole mountain bike thing, surprisingly, the way a lot of people do, right? It's weird when I speak to people on the podcast, a lot of them come from the BMX side of things or the motorway side of things or the trial bikes type idea. Like, So you got into BMX initially in 83. Yeah, that's right. I was a, a young 13-year-old. And um, I don't know how we found it, but there was – we heard about a BMX race going on in Mitcham in South London. So um, we took our, our super heavy BMXs back in those days up to this, 
I think the BMX I was riding probably weighed more, more than my dad's Peugeot he took us in. <laughs> yeah, I remember them. Yeah, <laughs> I think it, it was a Condor. Uh, I don't think they they even exist anymore. Probably a Halford Special. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and we, when we got there, it was this sort of park in the middle of Mitcham, and it had a plywood start ramp. No, no corners as such, just flat grass. And all the jumps were plywood on bricks. So it was a, a very, very early BMX race for the UK. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I get into bikes through BMX as well. And we were quite lucky, actually, because I had a friend, or we had a friend that went to our school, and their father had a field beside the house, and they basically built a really good BMX track. Like, it was unreal. But... I can't remember how I even got into BMX, but it was massive back then in the mid to late 80s, wasn't it? It was huge. It was the only thing kids did, wasn't it? We, we did, nobody played in computer games. There weren't any, but, for, you know, it seemed every teenage boy had a bike of, of some sort and were up in the woods or in fields building jumps out of whatever they could find. Um, we, we were lucky enough to have some woods here where the... Forestry Commission didn't mind us taking a spade, or if they did mind, they never said anything. Mm-hmm. We had a little track in the woods, but um, yeah, it, I guess that what gave gave us all the uh, the bug to go and start racing on proper tracks as they they popped up all over the country. Yeah, yeah, it's cool here where I live. There's a, a group of guys probably around my age you know and they they all have the old school bmx's you see them scooting about on these old bike you know old gts and mongoose and the old rally burners and all and uh it's, it's cool, great man. yeah like it is awesome to see and the bikes are in good neck too and the guys are always you know trying to upgrade and you know one week you'll see them just with normal spoke drums and then the next week they'll have mags on and you know <laughs> well there's a massive uh, old school BMX scene on on Facebook and uh, there's a Rad MTB sort of forum where you, you can go on and buy all the the original uh, bikes from the 80s. So you can recreate what you had back in the day, um, albeit quite expensive now. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm lucky lucky enough to still have the Patterson Pro that I finished racing on in 1987. It's, uh, it's sat in various garages, and I, I think it was about two years ago, I stripped it all down and, and cleaned it up, and it looks almost good as new. Wow, so, amazing. amazing. I don't think it take me anymore, though. It would uh, probably just be nice, leisurely ride around the tarmac, but not on the track. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Um, so you done quite well in regional titles and stuff like that and BMX, but then you progressed onto the motorway side of things. What made you want to jump into that? The strange thing was it, it, it seemed to be around 87, 88. Certainly the race scene was, we would turn up to races and there were less and less people. Um, it looked like it was not dying, but suffering. Um, so the race meetings were becoming shorter. Um, had a couple of friends with other, mo- you know, had they had motocross bikes, so sort of fell into it by accident. But um, that was more more fun rather than you know competitive racing, as it were mm-hmm. at that age anyway. Um, you know, I was getting to the age of sixteen or seventeen, where thinking I really ought to get a job and uh, <clears throat> start earning my keep, as it were. <laughs> yeah it's you know it's weird how that bmx thing seemed to last for seven eight years and then it just seemed to die a death so quickly and i can't really remember why the reason was um i, I just don't no. understand it i don't understand it, it i don't I, I guess you know children were doing starting to do other things and it, it was quite an expensive sport you know mm-hmm. you're asking you ask as any bike sport is back in the day you, you could be asking parents to spend anything up to a thousand pounds on a bike which is you know going back to the 80s that was an awful lot of money it would get you a half decent car mm-hmm. I, I don't know why why it 
it, it took a dip, um, and it, it really isn't the same now. I don't, I don't think. Um, well, it's a different sport. The tracks are very different, but I don't think you get the numbers that we used to back in the the early eighties, as it were. Um, yeah, but uh, it's still going. It's a good sport. So yeah, totally. Why, why it died died a bit is uh, anybody's guess. Or, yeah, yeah, it's weird. I know skateboarding kind of maybe had something to do with it. I think it got quite popular around that time. But Yeah. But I don't know if that was the main reason. But, yeah, it's interesting. Like, it was a sad day when I seen my friend, his, his father and that sold the house, and then obviously the track went with it. And But yeah. it was overgrown, and there was sheep grazing on it and all way before then. Um, so... Yeah. You know, it just wasn't being used. Um, so the Moto X thing is interesting because a lot of guys that come from Moto X um, or the trail riding, once they step on a mountain bike, they're just fast. They're just fast and they're very competitive. Like, did you find that when you, because you you raced Moto X as well, but it was more of a fun thing for you, I think, but you raced it also, right? Yeah, it, I mean, in the, I raced much later, Um it didn't do much racing in the 80s. Um, the racing really came um, in the early 2000s. Um, after my first son was born, okay. I, <laughs> I felt the need for a bike. And uh, my wife was very understanding and let me go back to racing, um, doing motocross and enduro. And, um, yeah, then I was I was you know competitive then but in in the 80s it was more of a bit of fun um but yeah 2001 for you know seven or eight years really good really good time i think the reason people get off a motocross bike and a fast on a mountain bike is they're not afraid of speed because you can't do motocross slowly can you it's it's breakneck speed wherever you go and that's that crosses over to downhill mountain bike particularly very very easily um you know you've got a guy preston williams he's i think he's british champ but i think it was youth but he's also an amazing motocross rider he does them mm. too so it must be the fact that they're not scared of speed um, and obviously some of the skills are uh they cross over too don't they mm-hmm. yeah like i remember getting chris brown on the podcast you know races for chain reaction yeah. but i remember getting him on the podcast initially before that signing and he was he was very very good at trials riding very good um and he was on a mountain bike i think for two or three months and he was entering the local kind of enduro races here and he was on the podiums yeah and yeah. I, you know it was just interesting to me how he could transfer those skills so quickly to the mountain bike um and, you know, it's funny, when you dive into it, there's a hell of a lot of guys that are really good at mountain biking now that have come from that background. And motorbikes is obviously very expensive, as we know, and because of that being the main reason they, they got on a mountain bike instead. Um, and they're, yeah. very, they're very competitive. Like, Yeah, I guess I guess all the skills are the same, aren't they? Um, or, or many of them. Um, although now, now you're finding some of the mountain bikes more expensive than... Uh, than a decent motocross bike, <laughs> especially the e-bikes for sort of ten or twelve thousand pounds. Yeah, it's crazy, man. But you know, yeah. the, the bikes are unreal now. Like, you know, I'm, I'm sure you you see some difference in the bikes you're riding. I suppose enduro twenty years now, so I'm sure your enduro bike has changed a lot since then. Uh, yeah, also, I mean, you you'd be having twin twin shocks at the back. Um, not not long before I took it up again, and and now you've got it's it's almost exactly the same suspension on a downhill mountain bike, and I guess the technology is is the same. It's just on a smaller scale for a mountain bike, so you can jump on a a World Cup downhill mountain bike, and it'll have almost the same sort of suspension as a KTM, um, yeah. You know, a a motocross bike. Yeah, so, Aye, it's unreal. It's unreal. Um, so you had to, I know you had a, an injury which kind of retired you from the Moto X thing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, it, it was really stupid. 
so I'd, I'd yeah, I'd been continuing to ride mainly in the enduro side. Um, I preferred that to the short uh, motocross races. Um, I was doing, doing quite well for for someone that was sort of knocking on the the doors of forty, but um, then I decided to play a football match. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that silly game with the inflatable ball, and uh, about five minutes in, I managed to um, snap my cruciate ligament. <sighs> Made the leg a little bit wobbly. Not much good for any sport. Yeah, uh, that's your that's your ACL, is it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So initially, they they cut a few bits out and left me. <clears throat> um, to sort of heal as it were but knowing full well they'd have to go back in and reconstruct the 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 acl um which was sort of eight months off my feet um they they actually reconstructed it using part of my hamstring Um, yeah yeah pull it through the knee and then screw it on back onto the shin with titanium screws so um yeah it was a big op and a long time off but um sort of decided at that point <clears throat> being at the age I was it probably wasn't a good idea if I took this fragile new knee and jumped on a motocross bike again um being that the same thing could quite easily happen again mm-hmm. doing that so yeah regret that football match but um it's it's something you know it's, it's fine day to day it's fine I can still ride mountain bikes have a great time but as far as a motorbike goes, I think that is over. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a shame. It's a shame. I'd love yeah. to. Um, yeah. Isn't it, to the dangerous sports. Don't play football. Yeah. Isn't it nuts? Like, you know, and you hear that so many times, like people that do these crazy you know, downhill and enduro, all these really dangerous sports, and then they do something, you know, they play table tennis and break their wrist or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's pretty much how I felt, to be honest. It was like, why has this happened? All the things I've done, why has it happened here on this flat field with 20, 21 other guys? It's um, It was a bit bit surreal, but, uh, you know, it, you can't regret these things, can you? I guess it's... it's. Uh, I, I still have fun on bikes, but uh, competition's yeah. over, has been for some time. But, uh, you know... I, I still get to watch watch my boy, which you know, parents love that, don't they? It's there's a bit of you out there when you're when you watch, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And Joel's one of your Joel's your youngest son, is that right? Yes. And yeah. he's Helps. one of the reasons why you started instinct distribution, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Um, Joel can make friends in an empty room. He'll talk to anyone for as long as they want to talk, and. <laughs> I had never heard of Flow Vision at this point. Um, he, he took it upon himself to get in touch with them um, back in 2018, and they came back with a sponsorship deal for him, or wow. a support deal. Um, yeah, so it, when these goggles turned up, and you know, obviously being having used goggles of you know, various Oakleys, Pro Grips. I mean, we're talking about before 100% even were around. Things, mm-hmm. there were there were very much, much fewer to choose from, but I'd probably try them all. When these arrived from California, I couldn't believe the quality for the price that he was, he was asking for them. Um, you know, you, you have a conversation with him, they tell you he wants people to be able to afford the sport um if you particularly for a motocross you get through goggles on a monthly basis they get ruined so he didn't want people spending 100 150 pounds on a pair of goggles um it, it just makes the sport more difficult so he came up with these these goggles great quality great price um so yeah after chatting to him on, on a few occasions um he didn't have a, a uk distributor so um i said i'd give it give it a go and uh that's where instinct distribution was born wow excellent excellent yeah and they're they're based out of is it california am i right in yeah. saying that 
They're in Fresno, California. They, so they get the sunshine nearly all the year. They're lucky. <laughs> and it's still a family-owned business, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. It's just Nick and his family, um, and I can't see that ever changing. He's, you know, he's a big family man, um, massive into his motocross. He still races every weekend. Um, his little boy races, so um, that his passion is motocross. Um, mm. And and you know, he he's he will have you know children all over the world that are riding with his goggles with you know helping them out with the um the support deals so um yeah he's, he's all about the the particularly his sport motocross being affordable for as many as possible so you know and that again that crosses over to mountain bike over here and motocross over here so mm. uh, Again, the vendor that I saw yesterday couldn't believe the quality of our products compared to some other major brands for the price. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was expecting them to be at least £30 more than than the, the price that I quoted him. Yeah. Wow. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And, you know, the goggles is becoming a big thing in the mountain bike scene now. I think with a lot more of these trail centers and stuff requiring you to wear a full face helmet. Yeah. I think the goggles becoming more, more of a thing. There seems to be certainly more interest in them. Like, have you found out over the years that there's a bit more interest? Yeah. And also they can be a bit of bling, can't they? They have a Mm. a function, definitely have a function. I mean, it's like riding glasses as well as goggles. You can be going on the most sedate cross country ride, but if you get a twig in the eye, you know, you don't get a second chance with an eye. Once it's once it's damaged, that's that's your lot, really. So you, you know, yeah. you've got to look after them, whether it be downhill, whether it be motocross, or even riding in the woods. Um, you know, it, it's a serious serious thing. But and again, like I say, some of the designs can be a bit of a blit, bit of bling as well over the handlebars. Um, they they some of them look great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, people, some people get themselves great big collections. You know, they have 10 or 12 sets of goggles. It's like like men collect bikes. Some people collect goggles. <laughs> <laughs> A bit cheaper. <laughs> they just don't tell their wives how much they cost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. No, they, they kind of have become that fashion accessory almost in the mountain bike industry, right? Because you can get really cool colored lenses and really cool strap colors and people accessorize their goggles with the color of their bike and all this kind of stuff right yeah 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 we had a guy with a, a um an orange and blue yeti and he he, he always buys the orange and blue goggles because the colors literally match his bike it's you know don't worry about your kit but the goggles match the bike <laughs> yeah yeah that's very important absolutely yeah Yeah. cool uh like as far as the distribution company like why did you well we know that we know you like the product a lot and there was no there was no uk distributor here but why did you decide to do that on your own had you any kind of experience in that or none whatsoever i've been running a landscape construction company since i was 17 wow and I guess, you know, that's 35 years, so it's 34 years. It's a big chunk of my life. And I've really enjoyed, or, you know, once Joel got back or got into the racing, I loved being back at the events and being with like-minded people. Um, you know, I've, I've come across a few old faces that I hadn't seen since the 80s because, you know, their sons are also into to mountain biking in some form or another so it just i enjoyed it i and it seemed like the right thing to do to have a little bit of a change in my life at that at that point so mm-hmm. yeah work it's it's a job don't get me wrong i do enjoy creating gardens and an outdoor spaces for people but this is a, a an extension of my social life um 
you know, I'm meeting lots of great people just because we sell goggles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess there isn't a simple answer as to why I did it. It just seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, and it, it has been great for the whole family, I think. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I say, we've met some great people. Um, and long may that continue. Yeah, for sure. Like, how long have you been doing the Flow Vision stuff now? Um, we started the company in, was it 20, early 2019? Right, okay. Um, Difficult time to be kind of starting, eh? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no one knew what was coming, did we? Yeah, yeah. You know, and it, it the, it's, as for everyone, it's had a massive difference. We Things just started to really take off. We'd sponsored a few events down in southern England. Um, you know, route, the Route 1 racing at Tidworth and Aston Hill. Um and it was really taking off. And then, you know, COVID comes in, no one's racing, and it makes a difference on what people are buying because they just don't need it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no point buying goggles and having them in your, your bedroom, is there? So, um, yeah, it, it's made a difference. Um, we've carried on uh, with products. We've got, you know, Philip Dirty Rides has done race jerseys, even though there's not a lot of racing you know, to go and wear them, but that, that will change. Um, lots of new sunglasses come out as well. There's the Flowvision sunglasses, um, which we are doing riding glasses, but difficult to find a manufacturer in the UK. Um, okay. It's the way I'd like to, I'd like to bring glasses out, but have them made here. Um, and that's very, very difficult finding someone at a decent price. Yeah, that transfers through to the customer because again, Nick is in at Flow Vision. He's great. He's he's allowed us to have all our apparel and um, you know things like stickers and race jerseys. That's all done in the UK. Um, so it's all manu- all that is manufactured in the UK. So although the goggles come from California, everything else comes from from the UK, which is you know. That's great, isn't it? It's great if we mm-hmm. keep some in-house, as it were. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, looking into that side of things, it's funny because with the way COVID has affected things and to a certain extent Brexit, there's chat, you know, about because it's so expensive now to import stuff from China, um, yeah. You know, with delivery costs, everything else, factories can put a premium on because they're so busy. Um, there's chat about, you know, this whole manufacturing thing, maybe seeing a new light in the UK and in the States or wherever you may be, you know, that it will give incentives for businesses to start up and start manufacturing and producing again in the UK. Um do you look into that kind of side of things when when you're running a distribution company? Because it's very important, right? You know, the import duties and all that you would need to kind of go through and stuff. Do you look at that kind of thing? Well, yeah. If we've got, you know, lots of packages crossing over from China and, and et cetera, it's not the best thing for the environment either, is it? No. Let alone the cost. So it would be great to think that manufacturing will take off in the UK, and we can we can have all these things made here. Um, I guess <laughs> what we're doing here now is we've got this, you know, all about the climate change, trying to keep things clean. Whether the, we can manufacture to the the same standards and keep it all green and clean is is to be seen. I guess, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. but it would be it would be. I would love to have it all made here. There's no doubt, but um, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see and see if the manufacturing industry can actually pick itself up because there's not a lot going on, is there, in the, in the UK at the moment? We're we're happy to buy everything in a container from somewhere else and let them have the mess. Mm-hmm. That's it, and we've become used to these cheap prices, which is a big problem. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, I guess if you're having something made in China, you don't know what they're getting paid, but it 
be certainly nothing like a minimum wage over here, would it? So for manufacturing here, it will be more expensive, but it's probably the right thing to do in the long run. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting scenario. Um, and, you know, it's funny because the people I've had on the podcast that do their own product and stuff, you know, I, I quite often ask them, why did you not get it produced in the UK? And, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to cost. If, if they've researched into it and looked into it, they just viably can't do it because they couldn't have a product cheap enough no. that they could actually sell. So they can't do it whether they want to or not. No, I think, you know, we're looking, as I said, we're, we're looking at a couple of different ranges of riding glasses and cheapest chips from China. Uh, just finding someone that would agree to manufacture them here on on the numbers that that we are talking about is that's difficult and then the price is is a lot more expensive to do it in the uk anyway but then they find it more difficult to do the, the smaller numbers that we're talking about they're only interested in doing thousands and thousands at a time mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, you know hopefully manufacturing will change and we can we could one day do everything here rather than having it come in a container from china or india or wherever it comes but then yeah you know i guess we're guilty of that in that in our landscaping business as well because nearly all the stone we use comes from india or china so really an awful lot of it comes from india or china um you know see if concrete slabs will even come from abroad but if you want um a good quality uh, natural stone it would be indian or chinese without you know without a shadow of a doubt wow and just think of the costs of bringing that weight yeah. over here like yeah and because of uh covid the prices of bringing it over has gone up exponentially because the boats are coming over half empty yeah you know, the, the world economy is fairly flat so the, the boats are not full so if your stuff is on that boat, it costs a lot more to bring it over. Yeah. Wow. It's... With that, the weight is the issue. Yeah. It's it's crazy, man. It really is crazy when you, you kind of look into it. Um, so tell us a little bit yeah. about the distribution model then. How does it really work? Um, my understanding of distribution is you have to buy your own stock and stuff like that. Was it quite difficult to do that? Nick's been great. Um they, you know, we don't have to carry a certain stock level. He leaves it entirely up to us. So tricky in the beginning to work out what we actually needed um, to keep customers happy rather than someone wanting to get something and then me say, well, hold on, it'll be seven days, then it will come from California. So mm-hmm. that, that was tricky, um, having not been in the distribution business. Um, yeah. Did you have to hold stock? You know, did you have to buy a load of stock yourself? Yeah, every we everything that is on the website is in stock here. Uh, okay. Unless obviously it says it's out of stock, then it will be on the way from the states. But um, yes, so so we keep a large amount of stock here. Um, you know, um, unfortunately, people think. <clears throat> well, somebody thought we might keep it in our Flowvision trailer because they tried breaking in and took the locks off it. But jeez. Mm, <laughs> so thanks, whoever that was. Uh, Unreal. You're only ever going to get into an empty trailer, I'm afraid. <clears throat> no, no tools kept in the trailer overnight. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Probably should say that. Probably should say that. it might spoil the livery though. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's all, all in stock here. And like I say, Nick's never pushed anything up to us. He's, he's let us go as slowly or as quickly as we like, which is is a big help. Yeah. A big, like initially when you started off, Tony, was that a scary thought? You know, this is completely out of your comfort zone to a certain degree. Um, you know, was it scary to, one, think if this thing would actually work and two, all the kind of tax implications and all the stuff and starting a company, starting a limited company and all, you know, was that all of a bit of a head melt for you? Yeah, it, it didn't quite give me sleepless nights but there was a lot of thought that had to go into it um Mm. luckily we've got a great accountant who you know can advise me on obviously all the limited company bits and pieces and you know this 
It was quite simple. The dealing with the the limited company that isn't actually that difficult. Not something people should really be scared of. Um, yeah. Uh, having the right advice is is great. Um, with the website, we just use the same guy that does our landscape company's website. Um, great, someone I trust, someone I work with for a long time. So having good people around you shares shares the burden. I think if. if if, if you know what I mean, I knew I could go to the right people to get the right advice. But um, yeah, I, I guess you you get your first shipment in and you think uh, how long until people start really going onto the website, checking it out and buying things. And how long is this going to stick around in, in you know, big plastic containers? But um, it, it went really well. And then COVID, you know, took its slice of the pie. But um Things are already getting quite busy uh, yeah. with with the the slow easing. Things are getting quite busy again. So, yeah, yeah, cool. Um, does Nick get the goggles made in California, does he? No, no, they are made in China. All right, okay. So they do made, you... They're, they're made in China at a factory where many other goggles are made as well by different uh, brands that everyone will know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah unfortunately yeah that that's interesting you know because i've been involved in the or i was involved in the surf industry for quite some time yeah and i was actually very surprised to realize that a lot of the wetsuit manufacturers all come from the same factory yeah and and that's that is going to be the same if it, it it's not blowing the lid off it, but you know, people would be surprised how many companies get their things from the same factory with a different badge on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and technology pretty much yeah. the same in one way or another. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's you know, there's probably only four companies that actually make an LC, you know, a, a flat screen, but they're sold to every company to rebadge it in their nice frame. Yeah. It's, it's a world it's a world you know a worldwide thing i guess but um yeah one day let, let's hope we can bring it all over here that would be yeah. great but um <laughs> let's let's see on the cost <laughs> yeah for sure for sure now when you go into the goggle side of thing because yeah. there's quite a lot of technology involved in this stuff right did yeah. you have to learn all that kind of thing uh what as far as like the manufacturing and well as far as the you know because you sell into stores as now as well tony yeah. don't you You have retail stores that you sell into like do you need to know how the lenses work what this lens does what that lens does all the different kind of uh the way the goggle doesn't foam up or i was going to say foam up how the <laughs> goggle does it that's some sweat <laughs> <laughs> you know different yeah. tear offs all this did you have to get into all that kind of stuff yes yeah uh it's you, you just need to know about the product and explain why you know it's got 360 ventilation which is the foam all the way around so the air can come in at the bottom and out at the top that's wicking away the foam the, the you said foam as well <laughs> <laughs> It's a bad job when you get foam in your goggles and you can't see. <laughs> you must be riding really hard. Um, so yeah, yeah, you you have to know, you know, you have to know your product and, and be able to explain why uh, why it works. Basically, um, you know, it's and then you've got the roll-off systems as well. Um, you need to you need to know how and why they work and the double glade. You've got the dual pane lens as well which if you're an enduro rider, that's great because you are working harder, more pedaling. They really don't, they really don't fog up because you've got that thin layer of um, air between the two lenses. Um, now, tear-offs, there's not a great deal to know about them. Um, you put them on in the right order and you pull them off, but I think soon they'll be a thing of the past because of their, they're not very green, are they? Um, no, no, yeah, okay awful lot of motocross tracks in the uk have actually banned tear-offs now anyway so you need to turn up with a roll-off system um so but, that just rolls basically from one side to the other yeah you've got a, a canister of 45 millimeter wide film that runs across um 
two bits of, if you want to call it fishing wire, that, that keeps the, uh, the film away from the actual lens of the goggle. So you can oh. pull, a toggle, pull a toggle on uh, your right side of the face and it will bring two, two pulls will clear the whole screen of the, you know, the whole lens of film, which will then roll up into the next canister on the other side. So um, I think that that's well, everyone will have to use those at some point instead of tear offs. If you know yeah. tear off the thing, you're going to have to go to roll offs one day just because of the green the green issue of having lots of bits of plastic blowing around farmers' fields, getting stuck in fences and sheep and cows chewing them. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's cutting down on the rubbish side of things as well. We, none of us would want to see a lot of rubbish around our trails, you know. No, no I mean, no. best will in the world, no one's going to go around and pick them up afterwards when they finish the race, are they? So no. I, I went to... Um, pedal hounds at the end of last year and i found some there uh, which was really weird because he has band tear offs um but people still using them it, you know you're in a you're in a forest it's a, a beautiful place why would you do that mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah and it seems it seems weird that there's another system there that seems to work well and you know, it's a, it's a selling point for goggle manufacturers or brands, right? That, you know, they're environmentally friendly where they don't have these tear-offs. You would think yeah. a lot of the goggles themselves or a lot of the brands themselves would just stop using tear-offs. I, I guess you're asking for some honesty in, in the industry there, aren't you? Um, because when tear-offs sell, we make profit. Um, yeah. So until they're banned, which I'm sure they will be, people will can continue to sell them tear-offs are cheaper you can buy you know enough tear-offs to do a, a race meet for seven or eight pounds but okay. for a, a roll-off system which is a complete new lens and the canisters and the films you're looking at 30 35 so there is a, again there's it's all down to cost for some people isn't it um at that initial outlay mm-hmm. so until, until they are banned, people will use them. Yeah. There's no way of making them biodegradable or anything like that? Well, I'd heard of a company called, I think it was Visor Leaf, um, that was starting to make biodegradable ones, but I've really not heard anything from them for the last year or so. So I'll be honest, I, I don't know if they're still a thing, but if they can make them biodegradable quick enough, then that's great, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you've got you're asking track owners, I guess, to police uh, what people are using. Yeah, how do you tell? How do you tell if it's a visor leaf or if it's just a piece of plastic? Yeah. Um, it's easier for them to just say none, I think. And these again, we're beholden to track owners putting in a massive amount of effort to to get the land and keep the tracks rideable. Um, so. We've, we've got to go with their rules, haven't we? And if yeah. they don't clearing up our rubbish, and who can blame them? Um, we, we've got to go with it. But I'd, I'd like to see everyone buying rollers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Like I think the biodegradable thing has issues as well because it's like you say, how quickly they did bio, biodegradable. You know, it's you know you're going to still have these things flying about in the wind and you know, getting into animals feed and then animals choking on them and stuff before they biodegrade. This is the issue. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny. I remember when <clears throat> we were getting new bags for our surf stores and they had these biodegradable ones. And I had a very good relationship with John, the, the man that sold us our carrier bags. Yeah. And they were all biodegradable. But, okay. you know, it was actually saying to me, well, I was asking him, the diff- why is this different from this and why is this price and this? And he says, you know, you have to be very careful with biodegradable stuff because it can actually mean that that plastic bag has to sit in direct sunlight for 200 years before it'll biodegrade. All <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? But because it will do yeah. that, they can get the rubber stamp to say it's biodegradable. But yeah. let's face it, is it really? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's it's like um, you know the farms that say they're uh, oh, I'm trying to think of the word, but <clears throat> you know 
they've not used pesticides or anything, but if it's been used in the if pesticides, etc., have been in that field for the last 50 years, it's still there. It doesn't matter if you don't use it now. It's it's still there, isn't it? So if a bag's around for 200 years, it's not really biodegradable, is it? It's it's yeah. outlasting many of us or all of us. So Exactly, man. Exactly. It'd be a big pile of it before it rotted, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, so tell us now yep. about the goggle. You really liked the goggle when, when your son tried it. What yeah. did you like about it? What was different about it for you? The, well, for the price, the you know, you pick up some brands and they're really quite cheap. The foam is all folded in and um, the, this would sat on your face like it was specifically for your face. There's no pinch on the nose. Um, you know, there's, there's three layers of foam that, that get progressively stiffer towards the goggle um, frame. So they're, they're ultra comfortable. They are very wide. Um, I think there's only one one goggle manufacturer that has a wider field of view than ours. Um, mm. And another great thing we have is we've, we've got the two ranges. We've got the, the rhythm, which is an adult goggle, and we've got the section, which is a youth goggle. But only the frame size is different. Um, the lenses are the same. They're interchangeable between, you know, it's, it's quite clever the way he's designed them. The same lens will fit both the youth and the adult goggles. Really? Wow. Yeah. So it's just the frame that's different. Um, and both goggles, I've, I've not come across a helmet that they don't fit perfectly inside. So um, just just everything about, you know, the way they put them together, um, the, the design is literally no fogging, even with a normal lens. The ventilation is so good. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when I was riding in, say, 2002, we'd always have fogging problems. So we used to pick the foam out at the top to let more air in. Um, but then, of course, you'd get dirt in. So it was mm. kind of, a, um, you know, rock and a hard place. But these just tend to not 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 fog up. Um, very, very few people have ever had it, I believe. So I certainly haven't. But, uh, yeah, just brilliantly put together. Um, and there's something for everyone. So many, so many colours. And, you know, it keeps us on our toes. There's probably one or two colours, extra colours coming out per month at the moment as well. So if, if you haven't got the colour that, you know, if we haven't got a colour that you like, it will be here soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's cool. And you can buy separate lenses and things like that and change your lens depending on light conditions and Yes, yeah, we, you know, you've got the tinted, um, which are great for some, you know, a, an open motocross track, but once you get in the woods, not so great. So we go, um, we go from clear through translucent pink, pink, red, orange, yellow, blue, smoke. Um, there, there literally is a lens for every colour. Um, and I, I took took one pair skiing to Bulgaria a couple well, it was just after we started the company. Um, the first order that came in, I took a pair to Bulgaria skiing just to see how good the fogging was, and they didn't fog up fog up at all. Mm. I'm not the best skier in the world. When I ski, I have to work quite hard. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, they they would have would have you know fogged up on that occasion had they been prone to doing it. But yeah, I mean they're they're just great, really. Yeah. really um, yeah, you know, it's amazing. A goggle's one of those things, they all kind of look the same, right? Yeah. But the difference between a really bad goggle and a good goggle is huge. Yeah. And, you know, you would see these people, because uh, I'm, I'm well into my snowboarding, been snowboarding for a, a lot of years, and, yeah. you know, you'd see people up the mountain with these really cheap branded goggles, from yeah. tk max or somewhere like that yeah and you were like oh my word you know just you know just put those things and i don't think you could <laughs> recycle them but recycle those things and get yourself a decent set of goggles that will change your life on the snow like Absolutely. is, is yeah. the mountain biking thing the same do you do you see like you personally do you see cheaper branded goggles on the trails yes 
I do. I, I do. I mean, you've got to be also, there's a you think it's an expensive sport anyway. And, mm-hmm. you know, people have, have got to, to spend what they've got, haven't they? And, and, you know, there are cheaper goggles than ours. Ours aren't the cheapest. Um, but if you're going to ride and ride fast, you need to be comfortable as well as, you know, if you've got something that's squashing your nose, um, you know, I haven't got the smallest nose either. So not only do you know I'm not the greatest skier, I've got the largest nose. <laughs> <laughs> And they don't pinch, so I can breathe in them. I, they're comfortable on my face, and they don't fog up. Where you know, if you're not comfortable and you're trying to ride quickly, it's not easy. Um, it, it detracts from what you're trying to do, isn't it? If if you're not mm-hmm. comfortable, um, you know, it, like like you say, if you if you're snowboarding and you you can't see or you're soaking wet because you've got rubbish salad pets, it it ruins your day. Um, yeah. So, for, you know, a lot of it is about comfort, isn't it? It's, um, I, I guess, yeah, comfort for, for the the price. Yeah. Well, certainly in the mountain biking, you don't want to be hitting that 30-foot road gap and thinking to yourself, these goggles are freaking pinching the left-hand side of my face. <laughs> uh, exactly, exactly that. Well, again, speaking to a couple of guys um, about yesterday at the pedal hounds we were speaking about riding glasses etc and why they didn't use uh, goggles and a lot of these people do enduros on with an open face helmet and mm-hmm. goggles don't fit many of them very well without trying to rip the helmet off your head um so you know it, you wouldn't do that if you're not comfortable you wouldn't hopefully you wouldn't try and ride like that because it puts you off um and if yeah. you ride fast that ends in one way doesn't it yeah, totally, totally. Gotta be comfortable. Yeah, I remember back in the day when Oakley became a big thing, mm. and they would bring you around these test lenses that they had fired a shotgun at to show yeah. you that they didn't pierce the lens. Yeah. Um, do flow vision do anything like that with their lenses, or you know, for stone for stones popping up and hitting you in the face and things like that? Are are they secure and all like that? Our lens. I believe is three times thicker than most of our competitors um wow. we don't sell a flat lens they're all injection molded and pre-curved to fit the shape of the goggle they're not they don't come flat and you've got to force it in somehow um mm-hmm. they are they are really good thick quality lenses um again you know something else that that drew me to it um my when my son was 14 he did his first uh Fort William event at Fort William. Not that wasn't his first event. The first time he went to Fort William, and he actually had a rock in practice from a rider go through the lens. Now this is on a push bike. It went through the lens of a another manufacturer's goggle. Wow. So he had a tiny bit of stone inside his goggle, um, and it pierced the lens. But uh, you know, I'm not going to say never. That would be a silly thing to say. But I think it's highly unlikely it would do that on our super thick lenses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what amazes me about the goggles and all nowadays is you can bend these things in two they're so flexible yeah, yeah. you know yeah. so you, even the, even though your lens is thicker it's still really flexible like that yes yeah um you know i've, I've seen adverts of people dropping bricks on their lenses and things and it i think you know should i do that should i put that on social media but um i don't think it's a real world test is it dropping a brick on on something um looks good looks Mm -hmm. good i think um people need to to see and feel and touch and see how good they are um but yeah that you know great flexible easy to change as well you know they're they're not magnetic these these new ones that you can just clip off a couple of magnets then they're not that easy but compared to some they're quite easy to to change so if you want to change from one light setting to another on the the side of a track it's not going to take you ages um mm-hmm. no user friendly well i think that comes with again with the lens being pre-curved to actually fit the goggle rather than coming with a flat lens that you've got to shoehorn in there it, it makes it more difficult right you're trying to fit a, a, a round or a square in a round hole aren't you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think it makes a huge difference when you know nick rides himself and it's common 
from that side of things. He's a rider. He's experienced bad, you yeah. know, things with goggles, and he's obviously thought, you know, this could be done cheaper. It could be done better. He's seen a slight hole in the market there, and it always, to me, if if a product comes from a rider, I think it it just validates the product so much more. Absolutely, you know, he he knows what he needed. Um, yeah. Right from the get go, he he knew what he wanted in a goggle, so um, he didn't have to go and re- you know research it from from other people. As you say, he's a rider; it's rider led by necessity what they what they need um so yeah his checklist of of what he wanted in a goggle was probably extensive and he's come up with a a great solution yeah perfect perfect reinvented the goggle we've just done our take on it yeah you know it's funny when these things you know you have your oakley's and all and in your other brands which can be quite expensive um Mm. You know, it seems to be in business when there's brands at that level, it would be quite a scary thing to start a, a Google business when you have massive competitors. You know, yeah. but what you find, I think, is with a lot of these guys get so big that there is options to come in the market at a slightly lower price, but still the same quality of product. You can't do it. It is there. And it seems to be something that Nick has found with Flow Vision. I think so, yeah. Um, you know, people at Oakley, you know, they start with goggles, but, you know, if you go into one of their stores in a, um, should we say, a holiday destination, they've got their, their range of clothing is, is like TK Maxx, isn't it? They've diversified. Mm-hmm. They're not just goggle companies anymore. They're just massive companies. Um, yeah. Let's not say, the, you know, we all know the quality of their, their goggles, et cetera. Um, but, there's got to be a a gap where we can have excellent quality without struggling to pay for them. Because, you know, you're buying a, particularly a child, you're buying them a, a motocross bike at £5,000, probably the same for a decent downhill bike. Um, you don't need to be buying three sets of goggles at £150 as well, do you? Um, no. You know, it, <laughs> It's probably the last thing on the list as you're going through, you know, you bought the bike, you bought the shoes, the trousers, the shirt, the helmet. Oh, now I need goggles and gloves. So you don't need them to be £150 each as well, do you? <laughs> you don't have to make that to get quality. We don't now. Anyway. Yeah. There, there are ways around getting quality without paying. Yeah, yeah, cool. And some. And uh, the flow vision, I'm just looking at your range here. Uh, yeah, it's massive range. Like, it's huge, huge range of colors and lenses and everything else. So, yeah. Um, and there's there's uh, two more coming this month, I believe. Um, cool. Um, one, uh, which is like old, really old school GT colors from the 80s. It's the uh, red, yellow, and blue. And then he's done a... A met- he's just started bringing out these metallic colours. You can see the platinum and the uh, Midas touch, which is the gold, and the lava, which is metallic yellow, um, the smooth, which is a metallic blue. We've now got um, metallic green coming out, so we're going to have hopefully lots of kids running around looking like the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> cool, yeah, yeah, it's great, it's great. Uh, that's great news. Like, It's really cool to see these new colours coming on and uh you know you can spruce things up a bit is there anything else as far as you and instinct distribution is there anything else you're looking at in the future any other direction you want to go or anything yeah we, we've had many conversations um in recent days and weeks even yesterday with um a good friend of mine in the business as to where we go um i want to make sure first and foremost we're doing flow vision right um before i distribute other things um we we did think about you know do we distribute actually bikes as well you know get get on that um on that sort of ladder with the whole thing but i need to i need to make sure we've got this right and everything's 100 percent well (laughs) the pun (laughs) 
um, we're getting Flow Vision properly right before we go and do any other brands. But I, th- I think we will in, in the future have other brands um, and maybe some of our own. Like I say, if we can get manufacturing in the UK, I'm not going to go and say I'm going to make a goggle. Lot. I, I'd stick with Nick, but we might diversify with some uh, mountain bike and MX products if we can manufacture them in the UK that go along with uh, eye protection, you know, maybe mm-hmm. do some gloves or some elbow pads and, you know, that that would be great if we can go down that line, but we're, we are a long way off from that. So mm-hmm. let's get Flow Vision right and check that we're doing the right things as a company. And if we can get some British partners um, to manufacture things for us, then uh, that's a win-win, isn't it? We can we can keep it over here, um, get some decent products made, and, and then we'll diversify, I think. Yeah, yeah, makes sense, makes sense. So where can people best find your product, Tony, and where can they purchase it? Right, well, you, best place at the moment is to go on to www.instinct-distribution.co.uk um, and you can buy direct on the website and it would will be posted to you the same day um there are if you look hard enough there are um discount codes out there you know there's one in dirt bike rider magazine the motocross magazine at the moment there's a a discount code in there for people that have bought the magazine so they can use that code on the website and get a bit of a discount Um, Mm -hmm. we have on facebook and instagram if you look at some of the posts, you'll find other discount codes there on, on the Facebook and the Instagram pages. Um, we we will, I think, with the new ranges of goggles and the reopening of racetracks, um, we're going to do some giveaways as well. So if people look out at Instinct Distribution on Facebook and uh, Instagram, they, they'll, in the next few weeks, find some, some free giveaways on those as well cool just you know it builds brand loyalty doesn't it you get it out there people love something for nothing when they haven't had to spend any money especially um uh, you know and if they're happy with it they and their friends then then get on the website don't they it's uh help the community a bit give something away and it, it, it it comes back to you doesn't it it's pay it forward yeah definitely i think so and I think it's nice to support, you know, your local guys and your local trail centers or whatever. And, yeah, you know, give a little bite to them for what they're doing and bringing people into the sport. And Absolutely. I mean, we, we, before the pandemic, we had some great events down with Route 1 Racing at um, Tipworth Aston Hill, um, where we would sponsor prizes for, you know, a cert- certain race categories. They were great. We were well received. We we got you know lots of goggles went out, but we're supporting it at grassroots level. That's not national level riders. That's small children that want to get onto the big ladder. So um, they're the people that need need the help, I guess, isn't it? it mm. make, make them feel good. They always remember you. Yeah, very very true. Well, Tony, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure to chat with you and hear a little bit more about instinct distribution and, and flow vision as well um it's really cool man and I'm, I'm glad you're you're you know getting involved in the you're still you're still involved in, in the sport and in the industry um it's great to see all this stuff you know being available for for riders at a great price and everything else so thanks so much for coming on and telling your story it's been class absolute pleasure it's been great um nice to talk to you yeah for sure and uh your instagram and facebook is that the best places to get you on socials yes it's we're we're, we're on instagram and facebook so if, you know everything's on there and as i say there will be giveaways in the coming weeks so um, keep an eye out for those discount codes you can always also find out there in the public domain so find one and use it yeah cool cool all right bud well thanks so much and um hopefully i'll see some flow stuff on the trails in the near future eh? I'm sure you will, yeah. (laughs) Thank you. That's a wrap for episode 191. I hope you enjoyed it, folks, and I hope you learned a little bit more about the distribution world and what goes into it to get you your favourite products and brands in stores or online. Um, It's 
It's a crazy world. You know, there's a lot goes into it. It's not as easy as you would think. And, you know, a lot of the time, these guys that start up small distribution companies, they have to put a lot of money on the line. They have to buy a load of product. And it's never really as easy as what Tony has experienced with Flow Vision and with Nick there. Um, they just seem like a really, really good family business and they seem like top people. So go check out the goggles and see them for yourself. They do look pretty amazing. Now, Tony, I just want to say thanks so much for coming on the show. I really did enjoy chatting with you. And um, I hope everything goes well for 2021. The race season starts up and your goggles get a little bit more use because they do look awesome. And it doesn't matter what colour bike or uniform you normally wear, there'll be a set of goggles there to match your outfit. So it's all good, bud, and I hope things go well for you. So good luck. Now, folks, if you want to know more about Tony, more about Instinct Distribution or Flow Vision, just simply go to the show notes, mtb-tribe.com. You can look up Tony's episode and you will get more info, links and all easy for you there to access. Now if you're enjoying the show and you want to show your support, the best way is by subscribing, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Every one of your ratings helps boost us on Apple's algorithms and helps spread the good word about the show to more people. If you're not on Apple, you can find and subscribe via Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio or whatever podcast platform you use. We also have a website, mtb-tribe.com, where you can find the complete bike catalogue, listen and download every show from there for free. You can also subscribe there and get one email per week with a quick and easy link to listen to the podcast. If you want to get in contact with the show, you can find me on social media, at mtbtribe on Instagram and Facebook, or if you prefer the old-fashioned way, you can get me via email, info at mtb-tribe.com. Well, that's all I have for you this week, folks. I want to thank you for your support over all these episodes, 191. I never would have thought I'd got to this number, but there you go. It's pretty amazing. But thanks for your support. And I will be back next week with another episode for you. So until that time, as always, get the bikes out, hit the trails, and stay MTV stoked.